Welcome back to another episode of Ales with Aslan, our weekly therapy session for those who sell for a living or those who coach those who sell for a living. And the latter part of you uh, in the audience will really enjoy today's topic. We're going to talk a lot about coaching and some of the things that sabotage our ability to change. And to do that, I've brought back old friend, Bobby Kaler. She's an author. She's a really famous coach of coaches. <laughs> Bobby, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. It's great to be back. Great to be back with you and uh, excited to, to talk about this topic. But as you know, we have to start with the important part of ales with Aslan, and that's the ale. So what, uh, what kind of frosty, refreshing beverage do you have in front of you today? Well, as you know, I'm not a big beer drinker, so I had to enlist my husband's help, and you know he was happy to help with this research. So <laughs> we, stopped, yeah, we stopped at a local brewery out here in Colorado. Uh, it's called Never Summer. And the IPA that Rick chose was, it's called Rake the Forest. Rake the Forest? And Rake the Forest. And okay. here's what it said on the little chalkboard when you go into the, and it's a small brewery. Yeah. It says it's piney, citrusy, and smooth. And when Rick had his, he said he completely concurred. He said it's not too bitter, not too hoppy, just a really smooth finish. So that was the it. one I chose. I like it. Well, it, it's interesting because I'm not a huge IPA fan. Uh, Tab Norris, who joined on a recent episode, is an enormous IPA mm -hmm. fan. Uh, but I, I, don't pref I don't love the hoppiness, but I did wander into a local Rhode Island um, brew. I, people won't be surprised. I, I, I've been big on Nashville this year and big on, uh, on Rhode Island. And I found the famous Narragansett It's About Time IPA. And I love their tagline, sold on merit. This is a um, you know, it's a pretty smooth drinking uh, IPA. It's it's good for you know anything you grill uh, as a good complement to that, and uh, it's got a six percent ABV, which is manageable, Bobby. Like some of the ones we've wandered into, we wind up with nine percent. I try to keep it in that four and a half percent, so you can have more than a couple. Uh, but this That's one's right. right at that six. Without mark. having to take a nap. <laughs> exactly right. So let me give a taste of that here. Mmm, that is. That is uh, as advertised. That's that's tasty. So excellent. Well, and of course, Very nice. Narragansett always uh, always you have to say hi neighbor when you drink a Narragansett. I don't know why that is, but it goes back to uh, several decades. So hi neighbor. All right. Um, excellent. So thank you so much for taking time, Bobby. I, I know you've been writing and and uh, done some blogging on this this exact topic, but we want to get into today is really, you know, how how those of us that sort of coach for a living can sabotage the change that we're trying to drive. And I know you've, you've got some, you know, a couple thoughts on that. So before we get into that, why don't you sort of give us, re-give us your background. I know you've been on the show before, um, but your background as a coach and some of the, the um, tried and true uh, history that you've had in this, in this space uh, that might uh, help the audience with um, understanding who they're talking to here. Sure. Be happy to. So, the last 11 years I've been at Aslan, and in that time, I have worked with literally hundreds of managers. I think it's actually in the thousands, and I've, I've conducted more than 3,000 coaching sessions. So, and just so, so the listeners understand, when I'm conducting the coaching session, you know, sometimes I'm the one coaching, but a lot of times I get to see the, the manager coach, and then I coach them on their coaching. So, I get to observe a lot. Yeah. So, there, there's that experience, and then there's also... My, my undergrad is in human performance improvement, and then my graduate degree, it's a long title, but it's a huge focus on leadership and coaching. 
So it's, it's both the experience and also then what I've studied. So they kind of come together. Perfect. Perfect. So guys, when you're listening to Bobby, there is a lot of credibility built into this resume. So take, take what you're hearing very seriously. Bobby's got some great, some great insights. And I've had the privilege of, of watching uh, Bobby train on our Catalyst workshop and took a lot of, she's inspired and, and, and helped me with the way I deliver the programs as well. And so uh, a, a big thank you to Bobby for, for that. But why don't we do this? Why don't we talk about um, a little bit of, you know, the basis of some of the writing you've been doing and, and how that's impacting our ability to drive change uh, when we when we do some of these these things that just don't um, <laughs> that that don't help us as coaches. So, so why don't we start with kind of a setup, and then we'll get into a couple different scenarios of, of of why it doesn't work. Yeah. So Scott, the way I started approaching this is, I've been coaching a lot. Yeah. I've coached a lot over the years, and I really started to notice what gets in the way of managers initially when they start coaching because I just want to say this the managers I've worked with these are all good people they're hard-working people they have the right intent so what are the saboteurs what gets in their way and it's things that we do completely unintentionally and they just they kind of rear their ugly head and they stop the the, the process of coaching and the process of personal change yeah so I started thinking about what are some of the most common ones? And I, and I kind of landed on, on two of the most common ones, and I'm sure there are more, but I was just trying to think of what are the two most common. All right. Well, so that's a great setup. And, um, and you know, we'll, we'll introduce each of these, and then I think maybe we'll come back as a break in between and talk about practical examples or things we might have seen in real customer environments. Um, but let's talk about saboteur number one. What's what's the number one thing uh, and reason people kind of fail in this arena? Because like you said, these are good people, well-intentioned, and they and they natively just make this mistake over and over in different organizations. Yep. So the number one thing that I see, Scott, is the I can just tell them. And if I just tell them what they're doing wrong, and if I just tell them what to do, they'll do it. And I think that happens partly because that's how we've been coached. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and the problem is when we do that, we're putting up a wall. Yeah. You know, so the thing is sometimes when we tell them we can get short-term compliance, but we're never going to get true behavior change by just telling them. As an adult, we're going to resist. And of course, we talk about receptivity all the time at Aslan that kills receptivity as soon as we start to tell them and their and tell them and their defenses come up. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think you were the one that, that had the example that I still cherish to this day, which is, you know, you remember back to your little league days where someone, the coach or, or a parent, or <laughs> yeah. someone just yells, just hit the ball, which is not, yeah, you got to hit the ball. <laughs> you got to hit the ball. Well, yeah, perhaps if we showed the, the poor eight-year-old how to hit the ball, that might be more of coaching than just hit the ball, right? I mean, and so the just tell them example is great. And I think we probably do yep. rely on that uh, a little too heavily. Uh, and it's, a, it's yep. a real challenge area to that receptivity you just spoke of, right? It completely. And, and it, it's very frustrating for managers too, because so many times in a workshop and in coaching, they'll say to me, I've got such great advice to give. Why won't they listen to it? And that's a great, and they do have great advice. They have wonderful advice to give. And there's a, a great book called The Coaching Handbook. It's by Jenny Rogers. And she addresses just this thing. And she says, the problem is unsolicited advice often is perceived 
as criticism. Aha. Uh-huh. Does that resonate? It does. It does. I, you know, I'm just, I'm actually jotting that down because that is, that is so true um, in our personal lives as well, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Unsolicited advice is perceived as criticism. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. So, so what I see there is managers take one of two approaches. Yeah. They go with the, the telling statement. You know, which is, hey, the customer told you that they were looking at several different options. So what you really should have done is you should have dug into those options and what they wanted. Well, the typical response is from the rep is, you know, the wall goes up and they become defensive. Yeah. And a step beyond that is what I call the list approach. And this is where the manager says, so here are a few things that I think you need to work on. And they list off three to five things. Well, now the defensiveness goes up even more because now what the rep is feeling is not only did I mess up in one area. I messed up in a lot of areas yeah. and that, that doesn't feel good for anybody. Right. Right. No, that's, that's so true. True. So true. And I mean, I don't know if you've run into practical examples and we certainly don't want to name customers or clients, but have you, have you seen this, you know, the impact? Because I think, as you said in the beginning, you've watched coaches coach their reps and then mm-hmm. coached the coach. And I can imagine the look on a rep's face is fairly transparent oh. when they feel that, isn't it? Oh, you, you can tell it. You can see, you can see how they deflate. Their shoulders start to sag. Yeah. You know, and sometimes they come into the session and they're so excited because they, they want to, they want to talk about this stuff because most people as humans were wired to want to improve. And, and then once they get overwhelmed, it's, you know, it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you can see them become disengaged. And then here's the thing that really, that really hurts is, when they become defensive in this case, and there's other reasons they might be defensive, but when they become defensive in these cases, that's on us as the coach. It's right. actually not on them, but it's so easy for us to be like, oh, well, they were defensive. They weren't open to coaching. No, they might be open to coaching. They just weren't open to that particular approach. Does that yeah. make sense? It does. Makes complete sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so you mentioned a book and what we'll do uh, for the audience is I'll, I'll, I'll find the books uh, and put a link uh, in the description so you guys can get out and, and, and check out that book as well. Um, so good. Uh, what else? Anything else about that first, you know, the just tell or the list approach um, before we move on? No, I'd say the, the, way, the way to get away from that, Scott, is just mm-hmm. remember, and it's what we teach in the program, the Catalyst mm-hmm. program, to ask the gap questions. And, yeah. and again, a gap question, it's just be, you know, the difference between where they are and where they could be. One of the easiest things that I've seen managers be able to do to form these gap questions is to think of what's a neutral observation and follow it with an open-ended question. So a neutral observation, let's say going back to that example where the customer mentioned several, you know, they were interested in exploring options. You could say, hey, I heard the customer say they were interested in exploring options. Yep. That's a neutral observation. There's no judgment. An open-ended question is, what was your take on that? Yep. To get them talking and engaged with it. So it's a much better approach. You know, and, and what I love about this approach and, and the way we teach this, but also the way you, you sort of implement it, is it's so conversational and collaborative with the rep, right? There's, you're not setting up this barrier. There's not two sides of the table and I'm on one and you're on the other, but rather we are figuratively kind of solving this together and a, an observation with no judgment followed by an open-ended question really kind of feeds that that feeling of collaboration versus me telling you 
um, you know, something that would put you on the defensive. I really love that, you know, that's, that's where coaching has evolved to because I think it, it was quite different many, many years ago, at least the approach was. Yeah, and you're exactly right, Scott, about, about it being collaborative and conversational. In fact, Thomas Leonard, who is the founder of Coachville, and I, I listened to all of his recordings, he always said that coaching at its very best is a really good conversation. And I yeah. believe that to be true. I love that. That is perfect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. You do have a lot of great quotes. You are very well read, which is awesome. <laughs> to make this more of a regular. I, I do my best. <laughs> more of a regular occurrence. We're going to have the monthly with Bobby uh, <laughs> podcast series. Um, very good. Okay. So let's keep moving. Um, let's go on to the second one that people should be aware of because we want to make sure we give you a couple things to think about and really not more than that. We don't want to overwhelm the coaches out there nor the reps with too much information, but what's a second uh, saboteur of, of uh, not driving the change we really want to? Okay. The second one is when we divert their focus too soon. So when we kick off the Catalyst Workshop, and you saw this when you were in that workshop I did, yep. we always say, what are some of your challenges? And I've never done a workshop yet where the challenge has not come up where it's the backsliding. You know, they, they make some improvement and then pretty soon they go right back to doing what they used to do. That's because we've diverted their attention too soon. Yeah. So what this looks like is, you know, we, we align on a gap, we align on, on an action plan, and then we see them as the manager, we see them executing it a few times, we get excited, they get excited, and then we say, let's move on to the next thing. The problem is, it's not, it's not true change yet. The, the fact is, they're trying it, they're attempting it. So when we take their attention away at that point, they're going to backslide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think it's fair to point out that backsliding is going to be the norm. I mean, it's actually part of the development process is what was it? Bruce Springsteen song, one step up and two steps back. Maybe it's two steps up and one step back, but it's, you know, there's definitely going to be times where you're going to fail. And that's, that's, that means you're trying, right? You're, you're risking and trying. Exactly right. And then you fail a little bit and you, and you keep going. But if we turn our attention or divert our attention too quickly, uh, we risk not getting to the full habit building part of the program and you know I've heard anything from 30 to 66 days is what it takes and if if it's really 66 days to build that habit uh, and you abort that mission too early you might not have built it uh, fully and that's uh, that's a danger of uh, of number two here isn't it it's a huge danger and as a coach we have to keep that in mind because you're exactly right Scott it is a process and it is a step forward and two steps back or two steps forward, one step back and keep in mind, the rep gets really frustrated and discouraged. So we have to help them understand that process of change. Yeah. There was a, there was a quote I heard years ago. I, did, I have no idea who said this, but I love it. And it's the amateur practices until they get it right. The master practices until they cannot get it wrong. I love that. It's a huge difference. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I think you and I talked about, but I remember Outliers, uh, the, the book by Malcolm Gladwell, right. and you know that he's so great with just finding the statistics um, that that point to a, you know some revelation. And the revelation in that in the book um, that I'm reading, Outliers, was that it takes ten thousand hours to be a master at something, whether you're a violinist or a you know professional athlete, um, and and you know, that's an awful lot of time. What is that, like five consecutive years of, of work time <laughs> to become an expert? Yeah, it's a lot. 
Yeah, it's a lot. And so, you know, I love that dovetails nicely with your amateur to master comparison. Um, and it's crazy how much how much effort that takes. So I, I, I take the point diverting too soon could sabotage our ability to drive true, true change. Um, we could get some incremental uh, help and, and some some good change, but not that habitual change that we're looking for. Right. That true and lasting change. Exactly. Sustainable. Good. Yeah. Um, have you seen much like the, after the first seven, have you seen this in action anywhere where it, where really you noticed the rep effect of, of doing this, um, or any, any, uh, kinds of stories around that? Yeah, I think that when it happens and then, you, and then you bring them back in and it's like, Hey, we have to revisit this. You can see that everyone's discouraged by it. Yeah. So what we always talk about is, you know, once we see them trying it, we want to celebrate the fact that they're trying it, right? Then we want to say, okay, let's aim for 30% of your calls or 30% of your meetings. Try it out. Because if we go to 100% right away, no one can achieve 100% right out of the gate, and they become discouraged. And that's important because if they become discouraged, they stop trying. So, And then once they hit 30%, we want to go to 50%, 60%, and then up to 80 and 90%. So we really want to think of it as a stair step to where we want them to be. Now. And I just want to say here, a lot of times managers will say, well, during this time when they're, when they're mastering it, do I stop coaching? Not at all. There are hmm. three things you want to keep in mind during this step, uh, the stage. And, and, and I break them down into progress, adaptation, and impact. So progress. We still have coaching sessions, and we want them to see their progress. So if they've taken the two steps forward, we want them to see that. Because in the book um, – Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Really Motivates Us by Dan Pink. He talks about one of the keys to intrinsic motivation is progress towards mastery. So if we're being a good coach, we're helping them see their progress so that they stay motivated. So that's step one. The second thing I call adaptation. This is, you've been trying it for a while. Do we need to tweak anything? Because it, it's rare that, the same, that they're going to stay at that same level. So sometimes they have to tweak, sometimes they have to adapt. So we want to help them with that process. And finally, impact is all about helping them see how is this helping you on your calls or in your meetings? How is it helping your customers? How is it helping the rep to be more effective? So I always think about those three things, progress, adaptation, and impact. And, and I, love, I love the last one for a lot of reasons because you're looking for what's the impact on you know, at the end of the day on the customer experience, because if, if, if these people, if our, our sales reps are doing a better job, there's going to be a positive impact on the customer. But what's the positive impact on the rep and how they feel about the satisfaction in their job, their achievement of their own personal goals? Because I know we talk a lot about that in the Catalyst program, but motivating our reps to their own personal goals, right? And so, the impact can be both on the customer side as well as on the rep side when this starts to really click. It's an amazing transformation, I imagine, right? It, it is. And once they see that impact, of course, this, this goes back to motivation. So they continue to want to do it. Exactly. Right. And, and, and learning is, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, a lifelong journey. Like when you stop learning, you start oh. dying is what we've talked about. And so you know, reps we talked about earlier natively want to get better. They want to improve. And having this collaborative conversational coach that's there to support them can really support that, that initiative of, of continual learning. And I think uh, 
those listening out there um, can take a lot away from this. And this might be one that you want to listen to more than once uh, to pick out some of the nuance. And always great, great quotes, books to, to, to look into. Uh, Bobby, you're always so well read and, and so well prepared. And we really appreciate you coming on. Any last uh, nuggets or pearls of wisdom before we uh, wrap up another episode? Yeah, just a couple. And you alluded to one there, Scott, when you said that it's lifelong learning and coaching is a process. Yeah. It's not a one-time event. So if, as a coach, if we don't see the change we want, you know, within a week, we have to accept the fact it's a process. Yeah. And that relates to the second one, which is something that John Whitmore, who is a legend in coaching, I was so privileged. I got to go to a coaching conference at Harvard. I got to see him speak live. It was absolutely amazing. And he said, as a coach, we're there to help the coachee observe themselves in action. And once they start to observe themselves in action, they start to give themselves feedback. And it's really powerful. And, and what I've seen countless times is about three months into this coaching process, reps start coming into the coaching session and they come in and, and Scott, they literally say, okay, I know the call we're gonna talk about. Here's what I did well. Here's what I think I can work on. Mm. How much easier did our job just get? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the habit is formed exactly on how the feedback's going to go. So, you, yeah, you save a lot of time right. and people really, really uh, take ownership of their own development, don't they? So. Absolutely. And everybody, it's so much easier on everyone and it's so much more powerful. Excellent. So that'd be my two things. I love it. Well, it has been an absolute uh, joy to have you back on the show. Um, thank you for the great idea of, a, of an ale in the Rockies that we could uh, take a look at. Um, the rake the forest from never summer. Is that what it is? Did I write that right? Never, never summer. Never Do you summer. want to know why? I'd love to know why. It is a mountain range that I can literally see from my house. I live in Grand Lake. Yeah. And the Native Americans called it that because it's never summer. There's oh still my. snow on that mountain. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would keep the beer cold, so that's okay. There you go. <laughs> well, excellent. Thanks so much for joining. And for those listening, we, we touched on the, um, the coaching uh, saboteurs that can exist, the just tell approach and the divert the focus too soon approach. Have a good listen to this. Comment down below if you want more on coaching, if you want more on other topics. There are other saboteurs out there, and we have uh, ideas for future podcasts that we'll bring back. But we'd love to hear from you. Uh, make sure you uh, drop comments down below. Make sure you like and subscribe to our podcast. We want to keep delivering uh, good value to you, our listeners, whether you're selling or whether you're coaching those that sell. Thanks for another great episode of Ales with Asm. We'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.